Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. At New Abbey, we do conversations. We believe in hearing from one another. Would you find three, four, or five people around you if you're comfortable? Uh, if not, this is a great opportunity to go to the bathroom if you're an introvert. I get it. There's coffee and pastries next door. And we have this question for you to start with today. What were you told was the good news growing up? Light conversation, you got four minutes, enjoy. I don't know about you, but for me, I have expectations of reality and how reality is supposed to work out for me. I always want reality to be on my side because again, I don't know about you, but I am the center of my universe. And so I want things to go well for me because I'm a human being. The only movie that's playing is the movie that's in my head. And so reality sometimes works out well, and reality sometimes doesn't work out well, but I still have expectations of what reality is supposed to do. And so there was a season in my life where when we were younger and married, by the way, I married 15 years last week, let's go. Yes, I got married when I was 13 years old. There you go, that's good. Still did dowries in those days. It was nice. Um, and when my wife and I, before we had kids, because we've been married since the dawn of time, we had a long season before we had children. We were just like young and traveling and poor, and you figure out a way to do it, right? So Expedia deals was my way to travel. I'd be the guy on there on an Expedia deal trying to find like that last minute when it's like there's two of these things left. Do you want to do it now? We went to London one time, seven days, including hotel and flight, $1,000 because that Expedia deal. I know, yeah. Was the room bigger than a closet? No, but it didn't matter because we were young and we were poor and we were having an amazing time and somehow we got to London for like $1,000. One time we went to Paris doing the same thing. It says two seats left on Air France. And I had an expectation because I'd never been to Paris before and it was like Air France because I've always flown like United or American. So I'm like, I'm in an international airline. I just have like a vision of what this plane's gonna be. Like French, you know, people walking around and they're just more classy because they're French, they're Ramage, right? You know, <laughs> you get it? They're just more fabulous. And I get in that airplane and no joke, we are the last seats, which I don't even think they should have put seats here on this airplane. There's just two next to the bathroom. It's like a giant plane. It's so like the tail of this thing is like all the way back. And this is the space between me and the person there, right? So it's a 12-hour flight, and I'm getting on the flight, you know, and the whole time there's like a TV here, and I can't even watch the TV because of the, like, view of the screen. So I'm like this, trying to watch a movie for 12 hours. But I paid $312 for this ticket, so I don't care much, you know? And I'm just so fired up to be here. Sometimes your expectation of reality doesn't work out for you. Sometimes you get into the situation and it was a little bit more difficult than you thought, but you find a way to endure. Sometimes reality really works out for you. Expedia deal. It was my wife's 30th birthday. We were going to Vancouver. I was surprising her. I paid like next to nothing for this deal. And it was like one of those like, not, don't stay at the Marriott, stay at the Four Seasons. And I was like, okay, baller, I can handle this life. And so we get to the airport, and when we get to the airport, we t I tell the lady, oh, you know, it's our first time to Canada, our first time to Vancouver, and um, it's my wife's 30th birthday, and I surprise her. She's like, oh, my gosh, 
That's so exciting. It's like, it's wonderful. The only thing that would make this better is if you upgraded us to first class. And she did. I had leg room. I was laying out. Not like one of those like pods that you have now, but I was in first class nonetheless. We get to Vancouver that night. And when we get there, the lady says, oh, sir, I see your deal with Expedia Four Seasons. Just so you know, all of our rooms are booked, and there was a pipe that burst in your room. So all we have is a pull-out couch that's attached to another room for you to sleep in tonight. And so I said what anyone would say, or you could give us the presidential suite because it's my wife's 30th birthday, and I brought her here to surprise her, and I know I got like the cheapest deal on Expedia, but come on, she goes into the back, does whatever she's typing in, calls somebody, I'm not sure, comes back and she says, you have the presidential suite. So for three days, I was in a 2,500 square foot, two-story, four-bedroom suite at the Vancouver Four Seasons, people, and it was incredible. I was living like a king. On the way back, we're leaving Canada, and the lady says, how was your time in Canada? I said, oh my gosh, incredible. These are the things that happened. They gave us first class. They gave us a presidential suite. And the only thing that would make this better is if you give us first class on the way back. And she said, happy to do it. <laughs> and then I got back to LAX and I got in my jet and I went to my apartment. So sometimes you go back to reality. <laughs> the point is we all have expectations and sometimes those expectations work out and sometimes those expectations don't work out. But what we believe in this life of reconstructing Jesus is that Jesus is offering us a greater reality that doesn't just work for some of us sometimes, but it's a reality that's an invitation that reality should work for every single human being. That when we begin to see human beings as human beings, that when we begin to see a more radical view of who God is, when we begin to see a more inclusive view of what, who human beings are, then the world begins to change. That when we begin to see the world differently, that when we begin to see reality differently, then we begin to change the reality of others as well. And that when we do that work together, our experiences change and expectations change. Pride Month is a part of that. Pride Month is the reality that we see that other human beings are human. Humans who for a long time we told we're not human, we're less than, we're hidden, we're marginalized. Pride is the recognition now that we celebrate what it means to be human. That life is not binary, but life is filled with a kaleidoscope of beauty. And that expectations change when we participate in changing reality together. And so if we're gonna talk about reality and reconstructing Jesus in this way, we're gonna talk about some things. We're gonna talk about good news. Then we're gonna talk about the gifts of the Jews and this subtitle, How a Tribe of Desert Nomads Changed the Way Everyone Thinks and Feels. That's from a book from Thomas Cahill. If you're looking to buy some books, also buy Yes, Daddy by Jonathan Parks Romage, where everywhere books are sold. That's supposed to say fulfilled, but that also works. And if we can talk about what it means to be familed, then we can also talk about the matrix. And if we can talk about the matrix, then we'll get into the power of now. And if we can understand the power of now, then we got to reconstruct some things. And if we can reconstruct some things, then we're going to use an old school word, repent. And all of the recovering evangelicals had a pit in their stomach. Amen. <laughs> And if we can do that, then we'll talk about Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. And if we can talk about them, then we can talk about experience and education. And if we can talk about that, then we can talk about belief. And if we can do that, then we got to get bigger and smaller at the same time. And I have 19 minutes. Let's go. Follow along with me in Mark chapter 1. And Jesus was coming up, nope, that's not the passage. Where are we at here? 
verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That the good news in the ancient world was a word that was not given by Jesus, but it was a word that was given by Caesar Augustus about 50 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. That the word good news in the Greek is the word euangelion. Say euangelion with me on a Sunday morning. You speak Greek, good work. And the word euangelion was good news for Caesar because it was the message of Rome. That Rome works for you because you experience peace. But Rome, like every other institution and structure and system, didn't work for everybody. Rome worked for the elite. Rome worked for the powerful. Rome worked for a select few men while everybody else suffered so that they could have peace. Many societies throughout history operate in the same way. We proclaim that there's peace for everybody, and yet that peace is given off the backs of the other 99%. And so in this story of good news, when Jesus comes along and when Jesus declares good news, it is this revolutionary statement that every single person would have known at that time because they would have heard of good news. Imagine Jesus coming along and saying, I have a new constitution for you. You would say, oh, what's he doing here? We don't do that in this country. But Jesus was offering something radical for how they understood the world. That Caesar had proclaimed a good news that wasn't working for everybody, but everywhere Caesar went, the armies would march in, the praetorium would beat the drums, they would raise the flags, and they would celebrate the good news of Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus was the son of God, the son of Caesar, Julius Caesar, who was God. All of this sounds familiar. And so in Mark 1.1, when Mark starts, it says this, the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Christ or the King, right, the Son of God. These were radical words. Perhaps this is the first gospel that's written about Jesus. So the way that Jesus' story is told is told from a point of view of a political revolution, that Jesus is trying to change our expectations of reality. Jesus is telling us that the version of reality that you have been given, you no longer have to accept because it doesn't work for everybody. And so when Jesus comes along talking about a different type of kingdom, a different type of king, and a different type of reality, what he's saying is, I'm gonna show you how this reality looks. I'm gonna show you how we value all human beings. So Jesus' good news starts with this radical political statement, and then for the rest of Jesus' life, he shows you what that statement looks like. Jesus hangs out with the Samaritans of his day. Jesus hangs out with the woman who's caught in adultery. Jesus hangs out with everybody who's marginalized to make the point. Good news is for everybody. This is the way that God actually sees you. So there's a good news of God is what Jesus came to proclaim. Well, now, which God? Because in the Roman world, there was all kinds of different gods. And the God that Jesus is speaking about is this Jewish God, Yahweh, and this God comes to liberate. I think for so many of us in 2021 who've been hurt by the church, who've been deconstructing, we often need to replace the word saved with liberated. That God came to liberate us 
Often the word salvation or saved makes us think about something that happens in the future, and it takes us away from the the present reality, and it's in this present reality that Jesus is offering a revolutionary new norm. And so Jesus is trying to reconnect us to this normal, to this present moment. And Jesus is doing that by saying, this isn't just any good news. This isn't just some good news of Caesar. This is the good news of this God, Yahweh. This is the good news of a God who comes and freed the slaves, who freed the Israelites, who freed the Hebrews. This is what this God is about. That this is not a story of preserving the 1%. This is a story where everybody gets lifted up, where everybody gets freed to be who they are, where everybody gets to be seen as a child of God, as loved by God, as pleased by God. This is the radical good news of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I had a different good news when I was growing up. The good news, as I was told it, is that I was a wretched, depraved sinner, healthy, and that if I didn't say some words, that I would be in hell for the rest of eternity. Anybody grow up in a world like that? I'm sorry. That it wasn't good news. It was bad news wrapped in a turd sandwich, right? And what happened is that this bad news left us with fear. This bad news created a unhealthy relationship to God where we couldn't fully be loved by God or love God because we were terrified that something might go uh, wrong here. That we were told it was a story of grace, but wink, wink, we knew a little bit better than that, that there was things that you could do and not do that would get you in or out of the story. So from the very beginning of good news all the way until 2021, Jesus' words are still radical and they're still revolutionary. They have something for us and they're changing the way that we can think. And then Jesus says this, the time has come. In the Greek, that word means fulfilled. It's not the time is coming, the time will come later. Somewhere down the road, the time might happen. It's fulfilled. The good news is fulfilled. Now, you're not waiting around for a radical new normal. You're not waiting around for an ultimate reality in which every human being is valued and equal and seen as made in the image of God. That reality is present now. That's what Jesus is proclaiming. You don't have to wait on that thing anymore. You don't have to have permission from Caesar Augustus to find your value. The youth pastor can't tell you if you're made in the image of God or not. That person can't take it away from you. It's already true about you. One of the joys of being a pastor at New Abbey is the trollers who find me online. That's a fun one. And so even last night, uh, and what I love is that they'll, you know, make all these comments on our Instagram account, and I will do what any good Christian does, deleted, blocked. I don't got time for that shit. I'm not here to debate you. Seriously, I'm not. Don't like it? See you later. And so, but then the person, person found my personal account and started sending me some messages. I'm like, okay, dog got a bone, doesn't want to let go. This is going to be fun. Just joking. I deleted and blocked them again. So... And it was all of these things of you're spitting on the face of Christ, strong, um, and, you know, read Romans 1 and all of these other things. And I think what I, I realize is that we just live in different realities, that there's a reality that so many people have been given that this somehow is a holy God who's exclusive. 
this somehow is a holy God who only wants a few people to make it and the rest are damned. That's not a holy God. That's a weird God. But we've been told that we have to accept that version of reality. And we've been told to read the Bible through that lens of reality when that's not even a part of our Christian tradition for the first thousand years of the church. The first thousand years of the church was this fancy language of theosis. We didn't talk about like the penal substitutionary atonement. White men made that up for sure. We talked about theosis. That says a white man, by the way. Yeah. We talked about theosis, which is all about that you're made in the image of God and that in Christ we move towards the likeness of God. That's what we're participating in. It's the reminder that good news is for all of us, and it takes some work to be like God, right? It takes some work to, and by the way, to be like God does not mean that you have an ability not to eat shellfish. To be like God means you have the capacity to be kind, To be like God means you have the capacity to be holy. Holy does not mean perfect, it means other. I use this example all the time, but it's incredibly powerful to me. When my kids yell at each other, hit each other, freak out at one another, like they did at 9 a.m. this morning before I came here, I am the adult in the relationship, and I get to be other and know you do not have a frontal lobe that is developed yet. I can help you use language that might express your feelings of what it felt like when your sister came in the shower and took your hippo from you. Isn't that a good God who doesn't just want to damn us and spank us immediately and make sure that we burn in hell, but says, oh, you just need more data. Oh, you're a little, you're having a tantrum right now. You're a little hungry. The oat milk latte didn't get here in time. But you know what? You're going to be okay today because there's a bigger version of reality in which you and the barista can participate in. (laughs) What a gift. That's what a holy God does. This is what Jesus is offering us, that what Jesus comes to do is to show us what God is like and to show us who we are as human beings. And where do you see Jesus around spanking people and sending them to hell? Nowhere. That's not what he does. Instead, you see Jesus around telling people about love, showing people a radical view of joy, expressing gentleness in the world with his life. That's what we see as we see the story of God. This is the radical invitation that Jesus invites us into and that it's already fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near, Jesus says. Kingdom, rule, reign, dominion is the word in Greek For me, it's reality. We don't have kingdoms or queendoms anymore. Well, God bless the queen, and you get it. She's great, 60 years. But besides that, we don't really have it. We don't operate in that world with a monarch. Instead, we operate in a world filled with reality. And we live in a world where we all experience a different version of reality. And what Jesus is saying is there's a reality out there that God offers us that can work for human beings. That's the invitation. This reality of God is present. When it says it's near, the word there means at hand, like grabbing it right here in this moment, it's for you. I hope that brings you relief in your life, that there's a reality that God wants for you. And here's why, because there's many of you sitting in this room, even as Jonathan shared a little bit ago, that there was a 13-year-old reality where you were scared about how your parents or church might react to you coming out. And there's God's reality that says, they don't have all the data yet. They don't have all the information. 
You might not think that I'm for you, but I will always be for you. I will always be with you. They cannot take that from you. They cannot take what I have inherently given each and every one of you. And if they take it, then I will send my son to remind you of this radical good news and this different reality that you can live into. That's the story of Jesus. And it's not something that you wait for. It's something that's already here for you. You're going to spend a lifetime seeing it in different ways. You're going to spend a lifetime experiencing it different ways. You're not going to experience it all at once because we're limited in some capacities. That's okay. But God's commitment to us, the proclamation of Jesus is that the reality will always be there in front of you. It's not this secret that you have to go find. It's not something that any priest or pastor can give to you. It's not an interpretation of the Bible. It's just your existence. And Jesus is here to remind you that your existence is good. That's the beauty of it. But how? How do we participate in this reality in a deeper way? And then they gave the word, repent. Repent's not a bad word. Repent's a bad word in our culture because we let other people take a hold of that word. Repent, what we've been told of it, is it's the cognitive idea where we rearrange theological furniture in our head, and if we can say certain things and have the appropriate statement of belief and back it up with the King James Version of reality, then somehow God will be pleased with us. That is not what the word repent means. The word repent means the changing of your mind. Here's the changing of the mind that Jesus came to do. It wasn't the changing of your mind. Now, that's the repentance that I want to be a part of. I don't have to operate in those structures anymore. I don't have to let their words dictate my life. I don't have to lose my freedom because they're still in some process of oppression and repression. That's right. God has come to give you a larger reality of reality that is here for you. It's the process of changing your mind. It's the process of seeing and having a larger perspective. How do we have a larger perspective? How do we repent? I think we do that in two simple ways. Obviously, this is not exhaustive. Experience and education. Experience is a gift. The myriad of experience in this room is incredibly powerful. We have conversation with one another every single week so that you can hear the version of somebody else's reality. And when you hear their experience, when you hear the beauty and the heartache and the mystery and the figuring out about their life, it changes you. It begins to impact you. It begins to shift how you saw the world. That for so many of us in this room, we have all had biases about somebody else, and then you had coffee with them, and you realized, oh, this is not the devil. This is just a human being who also likes oat milk. What a gift. That experience is powerful. Now, sometimes we live in the world of social media where we get glimpses of people's experience, but I believe in mutuality and relationship, that true experience comes through relationship with one another in a powerful way. And as we live into that, mutuality begins to shape the way that we operate as a human being. And in that osmosis, no, it was the active belief that changed the world. And they didn't start huge. They started small. And they encouraged other people to start small with them. And so as we gain a bigger understanding of reality, would you also begin to get incredibly specific about what your beliefs are and how you might change your life? Maybe where you need to start right now as you reconstruct some things is maybe it is a prayer. Maybe it's just saying, I don't know what I believe anymore. Are you there? Are you there? 
Powerful, powerful and small. Maybe you do need to clean the desk in your bedroom because when you clean the desk in your bedroom, as you clean up the external world, it'll help you sort your internal world. Maybe the small decision that you need to make is just calling the therapist. You can't even call the therapist right now, but you can text a friend about asking you to call the therapist next Tuesday. Do that. How do we start small in our beliefs so that we're not just believing in a Santa Claus, but we're believing in a radical transformation about what reality can look like? And we do that when we repent and see a bigger view of the world, when we engage different experiences and we educate ourselves into the broad, beautiful humanity that is out there. And we do that when we believe, when we trust, when we commit into a different reality that's possible for us by expanding the bigness of what God is and who God is and by getting incredibly specific about how we're gonna change and sweep the streets of our corner of the world. Jesus invites all of us into this reconstruction. Jesus invites all of us into this reality and it is now. You're gonna find the same three, four, five people that you were in groups with before. We're gonna have this conversation with one another. How can you practice God's reality now? Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.